So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us with whole fruits and organic veggies plus type 2 collagen. Make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the stretch and flex smoothie and tart cherry or pineapple kale. Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day. Well, folks, welcome to one more edition of Politics and Rhetoric. Berto is your host. Thank you so kindly for being a part of the show. We're going to have a great show for you today. How's everybody doing? Happy holidays. I hope you had a wonderful holiday. Yes, I had a great holiday, a much smaller holiday than we're used to, but we had a great holiday, specifically because my daughter was in town. She came back and she made it successfully through the airport without a problem. She actually did it, and she did it strongly. And yes, Bridge. Yes, she's here, and I'm glad that you like her new haircut. I like her new haircut, and she seems to like her new haircut, too. And it's easier for her to handle. Anyway, Nanette Bird-Smith, how you doing? Howdy. So you're kind of getting Texan on me, Nanette Bird-Smith. Are you Texan? Uh, Are you Texan? Anyhow, we are going to have a great show for you today, as usual. Anyhow, folks, um, if you are... Remember this, all right? Life is short, Before I get into the program, I just want to get into a little personal thing here. Life is short. And it is important that you live it to the fullest. It's important that you know that anything that happens to you likely happened to somebody else. So there's no exception to any rule. It is important to note that anything that happened to person one can happen to person two. It is also important for you to make sure to care for everybody that you come in contact with. Nanette Bird said, oh, no, I'm straight up Floridian. And Bridge MCP said, hence why she cut her hair. Yes. Okay. Now, this weekend I got a chance to say goodbye to my friend of 36 years, CJ Lucky. The first, he was the first, the very first uh, friend I met here in Houston, out of the Panamanian diaspora, that is. And we have been close friends ever since. This was a good person. This was a person who gave a whole lot throughout the year. And specifically on Thanksgiving, fed the hungry every single Thanksgiving. This is a guy that during the Christmas season, the holidays, he gave toys out. This is a person that anybody could call and say, I need this. And he made sure to get it done. And in as much as uh, he was about 15 years older... Uh, we had a very good uh, relationship, whether we agreed or not. It was, it, it, you know, I could if, if I'm out of town and I know that my wife needs something, I know that it'll be taken care of, uh, and v- vice versa. Well, my friend of 36 years got a massive stroke, and now he's gone. Um, the good thing about it is when... When you lose friends and you know that you've lost them on positive, while, while both of you were in a positive and content, it doesn't hurt as much. It hurt as hell, but it doesn't hurt as much. It is clear that he lived his life to his fullest. It is clear that we should mimic much of that. It is clear that a lot of the frustrations that we're going through right now, whether it's health-wise or otherwise, live 
life to its fullest. Are you recovering from something? Are you recovering from a stroke? Smile. You're here. You're recovering. Are you recovering from COVID? Like the, the woman I had, Virg, she was a positive affirmation after going through the ringer with COVID. If you're recovering from COVID, my cousin, who has gotten a stroke, internal organ damage, and is still here with us and continues his path on doing that which is positive. All of us have crosses to bear. Let's not allow externalities to go ahead and make these things worse than they need to be. To let you lose hope. To let you, lo- let you believe that somehow the system is, a, the, 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 the gods are against you. They're not. We're just humans living through a human condition. And we all live through it differently. We all have things happen to us at different times in our lives. But I can guarantee you that the vast majority of us, something negative will happen to us all because we're humans and that's the law of averages. That's what statistics says. And when your time, of when your low time comes, the most important thing is to have those around you that can make that can make your low times better. Make your low times better. If you live a life where you don't hate those around you, if you live a life where you treat people around you with a degree of respect, if you treat a, the people around you, having them know that you care about them, that you love them, then in your time of need, they will be there for you. All right, I'm going to get off of my soapbox because I'm going to get a little bit, you know, how. But anyway, so I lost my friend this weekend, and um, it hurts badly. But you know what? Uh, I know how he lived, and I know it's going to be all right. Anyhow, let's get busy with the program. Title of the show today is Dr. Anand Bhatt. This, let me put it on screen. Dr. Anand Bhatt discusses our healthcare sham, medical officer slash, oh, that should be shams. No, no. Medical officer slam our healthcare system and more. Dr. Anand Bhatt visited to discuss his experiences with healthcare in Louisiana as well as COVID-19. It is a sham. And yes, we know that. We know that. Listen. I, there's a story that I just I just processed it about 20 minutes ago. Saw it on MSNBC about a black doctor in uh, in Louisiana getting health care. And I want to play this story. And the reason I want to play this story is it's not for our crew here solely, but for the other people that are going to get this on 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 podcasts and otherwise, because there are groups of people in this country that are fearful of vaccines because they know that they've been the underdogs with vaccines, that they know they've been used for experimentation. There are people in this country that seek health care at a late time because they know that they never get comparable health care or sometimes the health care they get is not beneficial. And here is this black doctor. Look at what happened. This is a black doctor. She understood what she was reading on her 
MRI on, 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 on the CAT scan of her lungs. She understood it. She's dead. And when I, when I saw the program, I was sort of upset at the system. But I was also upset at her. I'm going to explain what I mean after I play the video. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. The treatment and death of a black doctor in Indiana is creating new calls for justice over the racial disparities in the pandemic. According to the COVID tracking project, black people are dying at nearly twice the rate of white people nationwide. At least 52,000 black Americans have died from the virus so far. That is 17 percent of deaths where race is known. Those numbers are underscored by Dr. Susan Moore, a family physician and black woman who died of the virus after posting a video to social media saying she faced racist treatment by a white doctor at an Indiana hospital. They're not going to treat me here properly. The CT went down a little bit into my lungs and you could see new pulmonary infiltrates, new uh, lymphadenopathy all throughout my neck. And all of a sudden, yes, we'll treat your pain. Her story inspired an op-ed from other black doctors in the Washington Post asking America to say Dr. Susan Moore's name. Joining me now is one of the authors of that op-ed, Dr. Tamara Phyllis-Jones. She's a senior fellow and adjunct associate professor at Morehouse School of Medicine, and she's also a former president of the American Public Health Association. Doctor, thank you very much for joining us. Um, so th this woman's experience, this doctor's experience, and this message that she left on social media, as you know very well, resonated with a lot of Americans because they have felt that way uh, when they've gone through the American health care system, that they have been um, treated differently. Black people have been treated differently than white people. How do you go about trying to address that issue? Well, thank you for having me. Um the first thing to do is to recognize that racism exists. It exists in the healthcare system. It exists in our justice system, in our educational systems. So the first thing is to name racism, to believe Dr. Moore's cry for help uh, when she was naming racism as it occurred to her. And then once you do that, then you have to identify the mechanisms. In this case, you know, there are... Uh, there's no accountability. There are, you know, few black doctors. Um, there's just a disrespect. And, and once you identify uh, how is racism operating here in the Indiana University hospital system, are we treating people differentially by race? Be unafraid to look at your data, not just patient by patient, but look over six months. Look at each individual practitioner over six months. So you have to acknowledge that racism exists. And then think, oh, it's not that if we fix it here in the healthcare system, we're done. Racism is woven into the fabric of our society. It's foundational in our nation's history. It continues to exist, and it has profoundly negative impacts on the health and well-being of the whole nation. We need to wake up out of our racism denial and understand that racism exists and then roll up our sleeves to become actively anti-racism. If you are at a hospital and you feel that you're not getting fair treatment because of the color of your skin, what do you do? Well, you try to go through the, um, the mechanisms they have. So if they have a patient advocate um, or the like, then you try to get them in. Often, 
family members in the time before COVID when you could have family members that would be able to advocate for you because they might notice things that you wouldn't notice. But then you need to keep going higher and higher within the um, administration to make your case known. And, um, and sometimes because you're not in a position of power, then you're almost at the mercy of the system. So what we need to do is make sure that we never put people in those positions, that, that the system itself should be self-monitoring. Are we doing equitable care? It shouldn't be on patients to advocate yeah. alone. It shouldn't be on patients to advocate alone. But while you have the power to advocate, you must advocate. Look, this, this, this is important for everybody, irrespective of whether you're black, white, blue, whatever. But there is a specific angst that black people have in hospitals. I've experienced it. My wife has experienced it. And I have made sure. Let, let, me, let, me, let me give instances. Of, I said earlier why I was sort of upset at the doctor, not in a negative way, but in a way that she was too passive. She went on social media and said, they're treating me badly. I see infiltration in my lungs. I see these different uh, uh, pathological things that are occurring to me. That warrants better treatment, different types of treatment. That was not awarded her. In that message that she put on Facebook, which is a powerful instrument, she should have said, I need all of you to advocate for me. I am at this hospital. I am a doctor. This is what's happening. I want you to contact everybody you can, including the media, to come out here and ensure that they are going to give me the care that I need because it is currently at this time. It is about to happen. I am about to get worse. I am about to die. The media that she used to tell her story could have been a clarion call as well. And one of the things that I have with many people that are aggrieved, black people, Latinos, and so forth, when things happen to them, they say, you're treating me badly. Stop treating me badly. I don't want that anymore. I want folks to do something about having been treated badly and do it in an immediacy right away. I wanted her to go out there and said, this is what I need you guys to advocate for me now. Anybody that is listening to Politics Done Right right now, there are people that have sent me info and say, hey, what's going on here? Is there something that you can do? I am homeless. I've thrown that out to them and said, contact XYZ. I have contacted that. This woman need not have died. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. Seatbelt save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket. Okay, parachutes ready. Boy, the things I go through to get auto loan rates as slow as 0.99% APR for 60 months on new vehicles with PenFed. You are aware that you don't have to be a military member to save hundreds on your auto loan, aren't you? Anyone can join PenFed. As someone terrified of heights, I probably should have looked into that. Probably. Drop me off at the shore. PenFed Credit Union. Visit PenFed.org slash autos or call 1-800-247-5626. Advertised rates available through the PenFed car buying service. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. This is a dead woman that need not have died because the Facebook family could have been her advocate if she had given a command. Do this for me now, numero uno. Secondly, she should have raised bloody hell. She, was, she could talk enough to say, get me a supervisor 
in here now. And by the way, I'm contact- if you don't get it here, by the way, I've already contacted the media to tell you that the kind of treatment I am getting is the minority treatment in the hospital. That is what needed to have been done. We have to be self-advocates. I remember being in the hospital, walking around with the IV connected to me and walking around when I couldn't see a doctor. I remember when my daughter was born and they had my, uh, my, my wife was really sick. We didn't know she had lupus then. It was just called preeclampsia. And I ran around that hospital and got that damn doctor. I didn't get them. I was around there searching, finding, not waiting for something to happen, but making something happen. We all have to be our brother's keepers. We all have to make things happen, especially in a capitalist society where you are just an agent of profit. Remember that. You are just an agent for profit. And if you want, you have to advocate. You have to have those. We have to be a team advocating for each other. This woman need not have died. This woman died because, one, she did not, they, they, they did her wrong. And two, she didn't follow the basic principles. The basic principles of advocacy. And so... It got to me. It really got to me when I saw a life extinguished that didn't have to be. My friend lost his life from a stroke that just went on too far. This woman need not have died. This woman need not have died at all. Anyway, it's great to see that L.A., uh, somebody of stature in L.A., has finally decided to say, you know what? Our system is shot. It is lousy. The medical system need a complete restructure. Check this out, and then we'll take it on the other side. I had to do a double take today because today, Dr. Brad Spielberg, who is the L.A. County USC Medical Center Chief Medical Officer, he actually fessed up to something we all know but is seldom articulated by the professionals in the system, that our healthcare system sucks. And COVID is exposing much more of it in a larger form, but it has to be acknowledged and we have to start making that necessary transition. We have to start letting folks know that unless we stop plantation-type healthcare, or rather, plantation-type healthcare was likely better because everybody was served at least. Not necessarily the best, but served. Listen to him and then we'll take it on the other side. I want to bring in now uh, the chief medical officer at the L.A. County USC Medical Center, Dr. Brad Spellberg. As we've been following the situation in your state, it, it is so incredibly troubling to hear the numbers ballooning every single day. And it's not stopping. It just keeps going up, especially with the Christmas holiday. Thinking about the situation in the hospitals specifically, your ICU is full at this point. Well, our, our ICU has been full for going on three weeks. And every day we come in the door in the morning and desperately try to figure out where to move patients to to free up beds because there's people now in the ED who need ICU care and we don't have beds for them. And that's a daily battle that we're going through. And as you've indicated correctly, that battle is getting harder and harder each day. So many physicians that I've speak, spoken to uh, that are treating COVID patients are, are most worried about offering suboptimal care because nurses and doctors and frontline healthcare workers are pushed to the brink, having to manage more patients at one time than they ever have before. Is that something that is happening inside your hospital? In most, if not all hospitals in L.A. County now, 
ICUs and the intermediate level of care called the step-down units are beginning to move out of standard ratios of nurses to patients because space is not the problem. The problem is trained staff. It takes years to train an ICU physician. It takes months to years to train an ICU nurse. You can't just snap your fingers and will those people into existence. As patients flood the hospital, there's only so many of those people to go around. At some point you reach, they go out of what the normal expected ratio is for appropriate ICU care because you have no choice. This is why more people are dying every single day because the hospitals are completely and utterly overwhelmed. It doesn't mean that we don't have incredible health care in this country and treatment. And we haven't figured out a way to, to actually treat COVID in a way and better know the virus, but because of the care. Well, the virus is what's causing the deaths. And I think we could quibble with the quality of health care in the United States. Many countries do it much better than us. And there's plenty of objective evidence around that. We could quibble with the quality of health care in the United States. Many countries do it much better than us. And there's plenty of objective evidence around that. And I hope after we get through COVID, we can have a real discussion over how to fix the broken U.S. health care system. Having said that, uh, in point of fact, the real issue here is not even just about COVID patients. If you have a heart attack or you get into a car accident or you have a stroke or you fall off a ladder, you're going to want an ICU bed. And you're going to want trained, highly experienced ICU nurses and doctors caring for you. And now you're going to be competing for that space with a flood of COVID patients. And there simply isn't enough expertise to go around to give everybody the care that in normal circumstances we would expect. But Megan Fitzgerald, the reporter I was just talking to, um, spoke with a physician about rationing care. I know that the county health officials there have sent guidance out on to how about how to ration emergency care. Is that happening in your hospital? The fear is that we begin having to ration appropriate care. We have not yet reached that point in my hospital, but we are heading dangerously close to the precipice on that. And there are many other hospitals in our area that have essentially announced that they have reached that step. We, it is important for you to understand the concepts that this guy put out there. First word he took the direct aim at other countries do it better. But there's another thing there, rationing. We taught everything that the private that the private insurance companies, the private medical system has said. The reason we don't want to uh, have single payer, all the things that is wrong in this system are things that would be mitigated if we had single payer Medicare for all. If we wanted to have real health care access, then we would forget about the plantation-type health care where Americans are asked to choose which plantation they want to have give them health care. Think about that. You don't have choices. You have the choice of which master you serve for your health care. Once we put it in those terms we'll understand the real genesis of the problem of our healthcare system, an evil and immoral system absent a single-payer Medicare-for-all system. And that's it. Absent a single-payer Medicare-for-all system, it's just a plantation system. And, you know, <clears throat> I had a conversation with a friend yesterday that had a lot to do with how do we convince people to, to not believe all the crap they hear on TV from the healthcare industry that try to tell them, oh, uh, Medicare for all, you'd lose your freedom and all of that, not realizing that health, private health insurance companies create a loss of freedom 
and not only a loss of freedom. Uh, as an example, my daughter, she has to wait a month and change. I always talk about rationing, rationing, rationing. She has to wait about uh, 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 two months to see a physical therapist. Think about that. To get a first interview with a physical therapist, wait a, a month. Makes no sense. And rationing is what we're talking about, that we're scared of. If, however, she was able to use any particular physical therapist group, she would not have to do that. And the thing that it goes for specialists. You need to see a specialist, you have to go to one in plan or else he'll bankrupt you. I mean, you can go over and over and see what is really occurring in this system. I mean, so before we go to uh, an end, uh, I, what I want to do is I want to go ahead and um, let's see. I'm going to go ahead and do my ask now, and then I'm going to play an and Dr. Dr. Bat, and then we'll move on from there. But anyhow, folks, please do remember that if you like this show, if you are on YouTube right now, please go ahead and click that join button. Become a part of our posse. By the way, I've already set up the Zoom, uh, the Zoom meeting for all our, all our folks. I'm going to send out an email and put it in all the different areas for our great Zoom meeting where we are all going to sit and talk and Zoom for the people who want to come and say, hey, we're going, to have a, we're going to have a Zoom meeting where we all connect either with our computer cameras or if you just want to do voice, that as well, whatever you want to do. But I'm going to be sending that email out later on today. So if I don't have your email, just drop me a line at info at politicsdoneright.com, info at politicsdoneright.com. I'll add you to the list and send out the invitation to come to the uh, to our good old um, Zoom meeting again. Of course, you know you can just come to our Zoom meeting. It's ready to go. It's ready to go. Anyhow, so folks, please, uh, if you're on YouTube, you can you can help us out two ways. You can either join. It's very inexpensive to join. Click that join button, or you can say, Ah, you know what? It's the end of year, and I want to go ahead and and give away that extra money that I need to help out. With Politics Done Right or other activist groups, you can go ahead and hit that dollar sign and give us a, a super chat. So you can do the super chat or you can go ahead and just go do the, the standard um, uh, join, join button and become a part of our posse. Uh, alternatively, you see that book on the screen? It's worth it, How to Talk to Your Right Wing uh, Relatives, Friends, and Neighbors. Let me tell you something, guys. Uh, what is the Zoom meeting going to be for? The Zoom meeting is for us to discuss uh, what you want to hear on the show, what you want to do, what you want me to cover, if you want to give me some critiques, if you want to give me whatever you guys want it to be. I'm going to just create a little quick agenda and say, but as with everything, the agenda is really yours. So that's what it's going to be about. You can give us, uh, you'll come into the Zoom and say, I want to tell you this, or I want to tell you that, or I want you to do this, I want you to do that. It's your show, brothers and sisters. Anyhow. That book on the screen, you can go ahead and get that book by that link that I put on the screen. And that, there you get it from, uh, from Amazon. If you want to go ahead and get the book directly from us, which means we don't, uh, we don't have the middle person in there, just go ahead and go to politicsdoneright.com slash store, politicsdoneright.com slash store. Alternatively, you can support, uh, if, if you are not on YouTube right now, you can also join our YouTube posse by simply going to politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube, politicsdoneright.com slash YouTube. Click on that, then click the join button, and you're ready to become a part of our Politics Done Right posse. You can, tr you can also support us by becoming, becoming what's called a Patreon. A Patreon is uh, this link right here, politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, politicsdoneright.com slash Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, and you know we all take. 
PayPal, politicsunright.com slash PayPal, politicsunright.com slash PayPal. Why do we do this? Look, and what do we do? When you, when, you, when you contribute to us, what are you contributing to? A lot of people say, what am I contributing to? I can turn on to Facebook and, or, or Facebook or YouTube and see all kinds of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. What you're supporting here is what we do is we write blogs, articles that go in newspapers and other places. We also uh, do quite a few videos every day. And what do we do this for? To fill the space, to fill the space with progressive information, to fill the space with progressive data, to counteract all that other data that's coming from the, where again? All that other data that comes from the right wing. We make sure, to make sure that we are heard as well. But anyhow, so please consider contributing. I'll give you some links at the end of the show again. But for right now, let's go ahead and listen to El Señor, Dr. Anan Bhatt. Welcome to one more edition of Politics Done Right. Today, I am once again with Dr. Anan Bhatt. He's one of the young doctors, progressive doctors out there that is really getting the work done. I have a few questions for him. And, you know, today he said, Egberto, you didn't tell me exactly why you wanted me here. And I said that I did that on purpose. But anyhow, Senor Bat or Doctor Bat. Yes. First of all, how are you doing? Uh, um, I'm I'm fine. I, I'm uh, I'm here in Louisiana, and uh, yeah, I have nothing to do right now. Well, well, guy. look, have yeah, you been? Uh, have you? I I understand that Louisiana is not as bad as it was a few um a few months ago when the the COVID uh, uh, infection rate was very very high out there, one of the highest in the world actually. Mm-hmm. They, they had uh, several waves, I think, because they were part of the initial wave right. when uh, Mardi Gras hit. And mm-hmm. so New York and New Orleans were very high. Now, um, um, uh, then they had like a second wave. Now maybe a third wave. It just, it, it, it never really like slowed down. The issue I'm noticing is our governor uh, has a, a mask mandate. But when I'm outside of uh, Shreveport, uh, I don't notice people wearing them. They're pretty good, consistent users where I live. But when I uh, visit my wife in Mississippi and I stop in the towns on the way, I don't see anybody. I don't see people using it. So uh, also another thing is I'm actually more scared of the uh, non-clinical staff than I am of the uh, physicians and nurses because I think they will do the right thing. But a lot of, uh, you know, non-healthcare workers go to weddings without masks everybody has to get masks. i'm back in the south there's always a wedding gotta have 100 people at your wedding gotta not wear a mask at your wedding it's just like so i'm i'm more concerned about the community and the uh, non-health workers in my uh situation than i am with the actual like doctors it, and nurses. it, it is interesting uh anan because uh my daughter who is a med student in dc She's here for uh, Christmas. She did all the right things, put in all, you know, she came here with the right gear on the airplane, everything, and covered up tight. And she went out for a walk uh, yesterday uh, with her mother, and she rushed back and said, I can't do this. Nobody here follows any kind of protocol. You know, we're here in Texas. And she just ran back to the house and says, you know, in D.C., everybody's covered up. You know, she said they're taking it seriously. My, my uncle visited walking. Houston from Massachusetts for a month, and he said nobody's following the rules of Texas compared to Massachusetts. Right. And, you know, uh, I think that the stats are actually bearing that out. Now, um, let, let me ask, you know, the reason I didn't want, I, I wanted to just get your statement as far as how you felt 
uh, this pandemic was going uh, from a from a uh, from the perspective of the medical system? How do you think the, the the pandemic is? Where are we in it? I think it's worse than ever. I think um, it's everywhere now. Um, you know, I think there was a perception at the beginning that it was a blue state urban immigrant sort of thing because when it started out, it was sort of New York, Detroit, New Orleans. Um, and wasn't happening in the rural areas. And now if you look at the numbers, I, last I checked per capita, North and South Dakota were the worst in the country. Mm-hmm. Basically, um, north of Kansas, Iowa is bad. <clears throat> Wisconsin is bad. Um, my old job in Ohio, when I worked in May or June in the COVID unit, we had maybe a dozen to 20 people in the COVID unit. I text back my colleagues back there. There's like 70 now. So, As in seven zero. Seven zero versus one one. Yeah, seven zero. Like a dozen to twenty has now become like sixty to seventy. Wow. uh, Again, even within Ohio, it started out in Cleveland area first. You know, the big immigrant, more cosmopolitan city. People who had had travel, but now it's generalized everywhere. So um, the thing that people don't understand is that healthcare is concentrated in the cities and in you're in rural areas you get worse care I and mean, there's no doubt about it and um everywhere i've worked and i've worked in uh four uh, now five states now um if you're in these rural uh areas you don't want to wear a mask well there's not many beds at the hospital near you uh i'm sorry to say you're better off getting sick in uh, 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 uh a bigger city in general before the pandemic than you would uh, now with the pandemic, the cities are full and there's no capacity in the rural areas. Where are they going to send you now? So people. Right. So what you're yeah. seeing then, um, Anand, is that um, based on based on what you're seeing, uh, the rural areas are getting hit very hard. You said that I think you're in Shreveport or no? Yeah, I'm in Shreveport. You're in but Shreveport. I think rural areas everywhere are getting hit. I mean, they're getting hit. They don't understand that rural people. In, in, when, well, let's just talk about healthcare. Need the cities. When you don't have what's available locally, you have to transfer them to the closest city. And in in where I live in North Louisiana, I'm in the big city, which is not that big, but we have the medical school. So that's the big right, city. Shreveport, yeah. So yeah, that's the main medical city in the north of Louisiana. So uh, if Shreveport is full with people with COVID locally, they can't start taking in people from elsewhere. And, uh, you know, there's small, medium, large. We're the large in this area. The medium cities might, might start getting filled up. And then they might be taking transfers. Even mid-tier cities, uh, like where I was working in Ohio, was like a, a, a mid-tier city. We, we were basically accepting the patients from what I call like bandage stations. Mm-hmm. You know, the hospitals, you know, 20 miles out from where I was, 20, 30 miles out for them, they basically don't offer much of anything. Um, and we were the receiving. So I think we were like a second level, second tier hospital. And then if we got something very bad, we would send it to Cleveland or Dayton or Columbus. You know, that, that's, how, that's how these things work. And when it comes to ICU capacity, um, you don't want to be in an ICU in a rural area. They may not even have an ICU. It's interesting because uh, with all of this that is occurring, uh, the people that most uh, have a, a concern or, or, or most rebel against wearing masks are the people who, when they get sick, will have the least support from their system, from the given, again, these are a lot of rural areas, et cetera. And these people, you know, they don't believe it's real. Now, how real is COVID-19? Isn't COVID-19 just the flu? Isn't COVID-19 just going to give you a little bit of a, a cold, 
with a few body aches and then call it a day. Is that what it is, Sanan? Uh, no, this is not a flu. I mean, the flu exists. It happens. And uh, I don't know with this new strain in England, I don't know how deadly to call it now, but, you know, uh, a flu does kill people and we don't take it seriously enough. This is much worse than that. This leads to long-term side effects, uh, uh, you know, mental, uh, 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 physiological, a uh, lot of like, like disability, like people having trouble walking afterwards. Yeah, it's mostly older people, but just because you get it and you survive doesn't mean other, the rest of your body is okay. It's not a respiratory disease only. Very early, uh, I remember- uh, uh, let, let me stop you because I think it's important for you to, uh, to, to stress that. When people talk about the flu, it's mostly a respiratory disease, mostly. Yes. But when it comes to COVID, COVID have, uh, has proven to be systemic, correct? Yes, yeah, that, that's why it stands for SARS severe acute respiratory syndrome, but it is a multi-systemic inflammatory disease. That's why they have blood clots. You know, there are people dying of COVID, not from respiratory disease. I think a friend, not really a friend, but one of my classmates from Beaumont, his dad died. And I want to say it wasn't from the lung. It was from the clots he got from the Right. So, uh, and then we have no idea what the long-term sequelae are. I mean, people in the, the general public also doesn't know. And again, I didn't know until I was in residency. Uh, there's something called post-ICU syndrome. There is something called PTSD from being in ICU. This is before COVID. If you were in ICU, you get ICU delirium. You can get PTSD from being intubated, sedated, people poking and drawing blood off of you all the time. And people do have long-term effects. Just being in ICU, uh, forget about COVID. Just being in an ICU is dangerous for your mental and physical health long-term. Um, so that's not a joke either. That is, that is sad. Okay. Let's, let's also, let's go now to where to kind of branch off because, you know, I am a Medicare for all, I don't want to call it a preacher. I don't want to call it a fanatic, but supporter, because I believe it's the only solution to our medical problem. Now, given the amount of systemic problems that we can have with COVID, isn't this one of the diseases that should make us uh, make it much easier to support the Medicare for all uh, policies? Uh, yes. Um, yes, it should be, but it's not. Uh, but my, my next question then is, what must we do? You are, you are deep into the, uh, deep in with organizations that are in fact pushing for Medicare for all among other things. What can we do going forward to show that Given that this thing is systemic, given that there are a lot of 20-something-year-olds and 30-something-year-olds that likely, who get this, that likely will have organ damage that won't show up until 10 years down the road, and likely if we don't have the right policies, insurance companies are going to dump you and say that's a pre-existing condition, how do we sell that to the masses right now? There's a... 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. Oh, that's a cheer we used to do in softball. Uh, what? It's, uh, actually Geico. Whenever someone hit a triple, we would wave our bats and yell, 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. But we never got to use it because we would only hit home runs. Annoying. The phrase is from Geico because they help save people money? Geico? Yeah, they were our team sponsor. GEICO. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more. I'm Robert Conti, Chief of the Metropolitan Police Department. Unfortunately, traffic fatalities are up in the district, and I need your help to reverse this trend. 
Seatbelts save lives and reduce the risk of death or injury. Click it or ticket. Hmm. That's a tough one. Uh, and I will answer with a novel. Which well, you give novel. speeches a lot. You talk a whole lot to organizations. I do. What I do. do you tell them to do? Well, I haven't told anyone on this topic lately, but there was, a, you talk about your daughter, you talk about the youth, you talk about, you know, I'm trying to get involved with Doctors for Bernie, which has now become the Health Workers Collective with DSA now. And I have to proceed, you know, because now the people, I'm not as a spring chicken anymore, I suppose, but I'm trying to get people, uh, you know, what do they want to do? They want to know from people like us what we, they should do. Well, I'll answer. There's a very famous novel, and perhaps your daughter has heard of it, called The House of God, and it's from like 1970s. Famous mm-hmm. novel about residency in the 1970s in internal medicine at Harvard, but he doesn't call it Harvard. He calls it man's best ho- uh, medical school, BMS, and man's, uh, instead of Massachusetts General Hospital, he calls it man's uh, greatest hospital, MGH. So um, it, it's a story about how terrible and inhumane the medical system was at that time. Of course, now you and I would look back at maybe that was the better days. Right. You know, in terms of, you know, a lot of the political issues, some, some of those things were a lot better. Um, well, he wrote a sequel uh, last year called uh, Man's Fourth Best Hospital. And in the sequel, uh, he talks about the main characters going back to that hospital and how they have new troubles that they never imagined. It was no longer... Uh, the doctors were not humanistic. They weren't uh, caring about the patient. They weren't using hospice. You know, there was all these things. There was a, the, obviously sexism. And at the time, it was the Vietnam War. So he was always upset about Nixon. You know, it's like Nixon is the least of our problems now. And he talks about the medical uh, billing system and how it just makes money and how it's related to uh, big finance because the tech companies create EMRs, which are so expensive, they're even bankrupting very rich hospital systems, including in Houston, MD Anderson, I think has issues with their billing system. And he is saying, again, I haven't looked at the numbers, but I I did see an epic rollout in one of the hospitals I worked at. They charge a lot of money and not just to install the software, to maintain the software. They charge big money. It puts hospitals in debt. And then the hospitals have to respond. Any debt you have to, has to be paid back and you pay it back by oppressing the doctors and nurses further. There's just no other way to make so you're saying you're saying the billing system that these hospitals use come from the outside and that these people on the outside are attempting that that a lot of the billing that the hospital have to do is to recover costs from just a billing system yes something that does nothing other than collect a bill almost like an no 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 no, it does more than that it collect well that's the problem it is supposed to be for documentation right and 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 billing so the problem with an American EMR is that it's all designed for billing. It's not designed for medical care. That's right. why the VA and the Indian Health Services, which used to have their own EMR, but Jared Kushner recently canceled them. Uh, they had their own EMR. It's designed totally differently. And it was designed to provide clinical care. Our EMRs are designed to comply with government regulations. Uh, government regulations probably subsidized with by legislators subsidized by one of these two companies. Both of them are in the Midwest. Epic is in Wisconsin, big supporter of the Democrats. And there is another one in uh, Kansas City, which is uh, Cerner. And these are mega companies. And I lived in Kansas City briefly, and they are sprouting offices left and right. And these two companies represent a huge percentage of the market. And if you 
don't want to use them, you have to use really suboptimal technology. Like and, paper. Yeah. Well, no, well, there's a few third companies around there, but they're terrible. I, I mean, I, they're terrible. The really, the options besides those two is, is, is just like, it's like everything in America. Everything is a duopoly. You go to Walmart or Target, you go to mm-hmm. Home Depot or you go to Lowe's, you get Coca-Cola or you get Pepsi. You know, like there's never a always two majors and everybody else are the fringe. Yeah. Yeah. You go to CVS or Walgreens. That's it. There's no, there's never a third choice, you know? And so, um, so he, and and I can guess that this is based on a lot of research, what he was saying. Anyway, to get into what happens in the story, I'll I'll sort of end the the book, basically the experiment to have a humanistic healthcare practice that, that, that pays and um, both is good for the doctors and nurses because Doctors have a lot of burnout, especially in primary care medicine. Um, uh, he, he, the, 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 the hero of the story kind of has this uh, uh, humane medical practice that does very well, but then something happens. And at the end of the day, the whole system collapses. But a medical student uh, on the rotation with them, uh, he says, well, you know what we're going to do is we're going to set a date of 2025. And all the, all the doctors, all the nurses all the uh, uh, janitors, all the people who work in healthcare, the people who do the work for a living, not the administrators who may have MD or RN behind their names, but everyone who does work for the healthcare system, we will go on strike until we have Medicare for all and announce it five years in advance. This is the actual ending of this novel. This is a very famous novel and this is the sequel. And uh, the, 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 not the oldies, but the new generation uh, she goes and after she's disappointed with what happens, she raises a bunch of uh, people, radicalizes them, and they all say that we will determine the healthcare system. Those who work will determine where we work, and we will determine what happens, not, not administrators, not other people. And uh, they go on strike at the end in the epilogue, and they win, and everything becomes humane. And the book actually starts in Costa Rica, where healthcare Where you is- have socialized medicine, yes. <laughs> right, yes. which is known to actually be for developing country, one of the best healthcare systems in the world. It but sure is. The, but the commitment to health is a political commitment. The political system of Costa Rica and certain other countries, very poor countries, uh, 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 or, or even a few states in India, Kerala, Tamil Nadu recently uh, is another one that they, tar- that they mentioned. There has to be a strong political commitment to health. We don't have that in our political system. That's um, what we have to make, though, Anand. That is what we have to make. We, and, and I think this is where grassroots is so important. I think we have to get the grassroots involved uh, more so than ever, because that is what's going to take against all these big forces. You know, I have this, this statement that I call insurance companies are nothing more than choosing which plantation you want to work on. I noticed well, I didn't say work same for. The, say, say the two parties, you know. Yeah, exactly. You're right. You're absolutely right. And that's the thing I've been trying to explain to people because, you know, in Texas, I had a certain view of politics. Then I lived up north for eight years and I came back and I have to say, like, the coalitions that have to be made are going to need to be of low income people. Yes. Or or people who work for a living have to make these coalitions. Right. Because as long as you have two types of poor people in two different parties, nothing is going to work. It's not going to work. Magic. That and you know what? That is the reason I take the stance that I take. That is the reason I even wrote this book, How to Talk to Your Right-Wing Families, etc. Because we have to get them all involved to get this Medicare for All going. Well, well, why is Louisiana, at least in terms of healthcare access, better than Texas? 
because of Huey Long. Right. Texas never had a Huey Long. And Huey Long, if you don't know, uh, a lot of people of both races are named after him, including Black Panther. Yes. Uh, Huey Newton is named after Huey Long. And Huey Long, even though, yes, there was racism, there was segregation, all of that is true. He did more for the health of all poor people in Louisiana because before he was governor, there was no LSU medical school. There was mm-hmm. only Tulane. And he specifically built a state healthcare system, which Texas doesn't have. The go- state government has multiple hospitals throughout the state. And, and the medical school, LSU, and then the LSU eventually in Shreveport, would train a new generation to do research uh, treat patients and do research and deliver. All three things have to happen. What we're having is our top places, they might just do the research. They're not delivering to the rural areas. They're not out there to help the other people. And the, I think the ideal, if from what I understand, I mean, I'm new here in Louisiana, I think the original idea was to have a state healthcare system with a state university st- uh, attached to that and deliver that healthcare to the poor people. Because in Louisiana, honestly, everyone is poor rural or urban, everybody is poor. And the problem with Texas is there's just enough rich people to make them think they can all be rich. And, and, and there's not enough rural people. And there was never a Huey Long. That's the problem with Texas. And the cowboy culture, the cowboy thing, I think is another problem with the Texas culture. Well, why, look, why is healthcare access so much better just across the river? I mean, Louisiana is backwards in many, many, many other right. Don't, don't even get me wrong, but why is healthcare access better in Louisiana than Texas? That's the magic, and I'm glad you said that. And, you know, we, you were talking earlier when we started the conversation. Egberto, exactly what are we going to talk about? You hit the magic plug. We are going to have to get all people, not through a duopoly of poor people, but all people in both parties and all parties together on the bottom that's going to demand this. Uh, we are out of time, Anan. That's the magic uh, answer of the day. Thank you so kindly for having been here on Politics Done Right. As usual, you, you young man always have a word of wisdom. Thank you so kindly for being here, brother. Great to be here. We, all right, folks, I hope you enjoyed that. I hope you enjoyed that. Let me go ahead and bring everybody in. Bridge MCP, welcome aboard. Kathy Pascal, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see. Don Broadbent, welcome aboard. Don, you had said something I want to ex- explore. Tom Hines, welcome aboard. Bam Bam, Win in Tank 28, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see, Paul Fleming, welcome aboard. Norman Reynolds, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. Um, uh, para ver, para ver, para ver. Nanette Bird-Smith, welcome aboard. Robert Reed, welcome aboard. Uh, let's see who else is here. If I miss you, forgive me. Uh, let's see. Coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up, coming up. Uh, Let's see. Oh, Michael Rudnan isn't here today. Uh, I think I got Paul Fleming already. Let's go up to the bridge. If I missed you, drop me a line. I'll be, I'll be sure to call you out. Uh, yeah, and I have another doc coming on, on tomorrow that you will like as well. Uh, his wife. Uh, she's pretty good as well. Uh, let's see. Uh, para ver, para ver. I want to take on something that... Um, uh, that I actually, it's a question that I I think I have for her. If I can find the message, I should have copied the message and then uh, then then looked at it. Uh, let's see. Bear with me as I find that message. But anyhow, um, did did you find it amazing that Lu- Louisiana has better access to healthcare 
than we do. It's th- is that amazing or what? And we understand why. Again, like you said, they had a Huey Long. We didn't. And uh, however controversial he may have been, uh, there are some interesting features there. Okay, I'm looking for that that piece from Don says, the healthcare system, as far as I can see, is owned by the state and in need and in the need to serve a greater service, which is turn a profit. Okay, I'm not sure I understand what you're. I don't know if you're you're being sarcastic or not, Don. But the healthcare system is mostly controlled by the private sector, and they all have shareholders. They all have executives. They all duplicate services. They are for-profit machines, which means they're, they're, they must intentionally attempt to keep you sick. Otherwise, they're, they're the, that which generates profit for them is no longer there. So I, I think it's important that we understand those concepts. If I'm misunderstanding you, please let me know because it's not something that I'd like to leave hanging. I want people to understand that most of our healthcare system is privately owned, most of the profits of this healthcare system go to just a few people. They have price and power, which means, you know, when they want when they want to make some money, they just go ahead and say, "I am going to increase the price of something, whether inflation went up or not." And if you doubt it, the healthcare cost has been rising much higher, much faster than in than the regular inflation rate. Why? Because they have this thing called price and power. And when you have price and power, and not only do you have price and power, but you deter... Look, if I break my leg, I have to get it fixed. If I break a cup, I don't have to go replace that cup. Or I don't... I have choice. I can spend time to wait till enough people stop buying cups to force other... Uh, force businesses to drop the price of the cup. But when you're ill, you don't have that wherewithal. And that is the reason why certain parts of our economy do not believe, do not belong in the private sector where profit is the driving force. Because when you, whenever your leg is broken, I'll charge you whatever I can get out of you to fix that leg. Because you want your leg fixed. You need your leg. It's a, it, we have to change the paradigm we have to change the way we think so that these people don't lie to us. I'm, I'm, there, there are two things I want to tell you guys about. Um, I came up with, uh, I'm starting another podcast. It's called Egberto Off the Record. I was going to call it Egberto Something Else. And notice I gave it this thing, Egberto Off the Record. That's how I'm going to announce it. Egberto, not Egberto, but Egberto, the Spanish pronunciation. Egberto Off the Record. My daughter told me to use that off-the-record name. I had another uh, three words there. She told me, no, Dad, use off-the-record. So it's off-the-record. So this new one is going to be off-the-record. And this is one that gonna, that's just going to go out there and tell you what I think. No, no holes barred, that sort of a thing. I always do that, but this one will be its own podcast. And I'm also going to create a probably a three- or four-part series it's not a series because each of them are going to be between two and five minutes long videos for medicare for all because what i want to do is do something that we can distribute out there that a lot of people will watch so that uh so that 
<laughs> where were the other three words? Honestly, Bridge, I don't remember what the other three words were, but it must have been corny because she looked at me kind of funny. <laughs> but anyhow, um, I, I, I want to create either three or four parts, either three, four or five, I don't know yet, on Medicare for All, that it can go like this. And I want to make it in short segments so people would watch it. And the reason why is I want something that can get mass distribution so that people can actually get it without all the spin from the, the, the people on the outside, meaning the, 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 the uh, health insurance companies and all of that. Anyway, we got to start getting out of here. Hey, guys, I, I think I told you guys about the new T-shirt, right? Have you seen this one here? I am a progressive. You, you like that one? It says, I am a progressive. And what else does it say underneath there after? It says, I, to save time, just assume that I am never wrong. I'm not talking about me. Now. I'm talking about y'all. Y'all are progressives. That's the new T-shirt. And we have it in, in, a, in this sort of sweater form also. If you want to check it out, let me give you the link to that baby. You can see all three of them there at that link. Anyhow, folks, don't forget, consider getting our book. Uh, it's worth it. How to Speak to Your Right-Wing Relative, Friends, and Neighbors. And where do you get that book? You can get that book at Amazon. Or if you want to get rid of the middleman, you can get that book at my store, store.politicsdoneright.com. If you have any time you want to talk to me, you can either drop me a line on Facebook or you can send an info, info at politicsonright.com. Info at politicsonright.com. Say, hey, Bert, I'm tired of hearing this or I don't want to hear that or talk about this or whatever. And don't forget, you'll be getting an email from me. We'll also be putting it in our different avenues of communication about our Zoom call, which will be on Wednesday at 8 p.m. Central. I think I set it for, wait, let me see. Christmas Eve is, I think, Thursday. So I set it for Wednesday. Wednesday, I think it is Wednesday at 3 p.m., but you'll get it in the mail. If I messed up on a date, forgive me. I'll send it out for you. Anyway, my name is Egberto Willis. This is Politics Done Right. And you guys know how I end this baby. I am what? Out! We spend a lot of time deconstructing the news, trying to, trying to parse it into a form that everybody can understand. We try to find those little nitpicks where uh, it goes, it flies above the fray, etc. If you really like these videos that we do, I want to ask a big favor. Please go ahead, number one, subscribe to our channel, and number two, please join if you can. Thank you so kindly for watching. Keep watching. Please remember to share. We must populate the entire internet with our progressive message, a message that we know is what most Americans say that they want. So help us please join. This message is sponsored by Amazon. I want to get back to kissing the cheeks of my grandbabies, making Sunday dinner with a house full of family and lots of laughs. <laughs> COVID-19 has changed how we live and how we feel, but now there are vaccines. It's okay to have questions. Now get the facts. Visit GetVaccineAnswers.org so you can make an informed decision about COVID-19 vaccines. It's up to you. Brought to you by the Ad Council. So let's say you're into yoga or Pilates, or maybe you dabble in gymnastics like me. Either way, you know being flexible is key to doing what you love. That's why Smoothie King created this stretch and flex smoothie for people like us. With whole fruits and organic veggies, plus type 2 collagen, Make it part of your daily fitness routine to support flexibility and joint health. So try the Stretch and Flex smoothie and tart cherry or pineapple kale. 
Order online today for pickup or delivery. Smoothie King, rule the day.